Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. Living in a Hallmark movie world. We talk to the Connecticut Office of TV, Film and Digital Media and a local filmmaker about why Connecticut is so popular and appears in so many Hallmark movies. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. If you watched the Hallmark Movie Channel over Christmas in 2021, you may have seen or recognized a lot of places that appear in those movies. In fact, Connecticut towns and cities have become increasingly popular with filmmakers over the last several years. So what keeps the film companies coming back time after time? I caught up with the Connecticut Office of TV, Film and Digital Media and their small staff of George Norfleet, Mark Dixon and Ed Ruggiero and local filmmaker Andrew Gernhard, owner of Synthetic Cinema International, who make many of Hallmark's movies for them in the state, to find out more about Connecticut's movie fame. Gentlemen, to you all, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. So I'm going to start with you, George. You're the director of the Connecticut Office of Film, TV and Digital Media. What exactly does your office do? Well, we are a full service agency. Uh, We are here specifically to facilitate the entirety of the industry. We engage with either individual producers, production designers, location managers, all sorts of personnel in that regard to help them site their productions here in the state to help them find crew, to help them find equipment, all of those types of things. We're here to make their lives easier. And how long has the office been going? Because, you know, that's always interesting to know what the history of it is. So has it been going for a number of years? It has been going for a number of years. It has been going at least since 2007, which is probably as long as I've been involved, as well as uh, Ed and Mark. However, Mark, I believe, did uh, work with uh, the office when it existed in a different iteration prior to that. So it has been around uh, for quite some time. And Mark, I want to turn to you. Location services is one of your specialties for the Office of Film, TV and Digital Media. We've got a lot of good places for people to film, haven't we? Absolutely. We're a small state, but we're very diverse in terms of our locations. You know, especially in eastern Connecticut, you have uh, the ability to be in, in our cities like uh, like New London and Norwich, and then to be in some of our, our coastal communities like uh, Mystic, Stonington, Noank. And then there's all the wonderful countryside in the northeast uh, uh, corner in the quiet corner and so it's a very uh, very easy place to work are there any you know particular locations which seem to be more popular than others that you've noticed over the years i'm guessing hartford the capital is probably fairly popular but is there anywhere else that's really struck a chord with filmmakers well certainly and this is just you know uh, areas such as mystic stonington They've always been very popular with filmmakers. However, we have recently seen a move to people coming to Hartford, you know, coming to Norwich, coming to, you know, Middletown and uh, just uh, 
coming out of what historically has been, you know, Fairfield County to film more in uh, the eastern and central parts of the state. And Ed, you are the film tax credit administrator for the Office of Film, TV and Digital Media. I'm guessing you're giving some fairly good sort of handouts to filmmakers, because, of course, we always hear otherwise that it seems to go over the border into Canada, which is, you know, great. But of course, we'd love to have things filmed here in the US. So what's the situation with the, the film tax credit? Well, the tax credits are, are a driving factor in where uh, productions choose to locate. And we have a very healthy and competitive program here in Connecticut. We offer an incentive of between 10 and 30% based on the amount that the production spends in state. The minimum spend is $100,000. And if you're spending over a million dollars, you can access that 30% tax credit. And also, I think I saw something on the website in particular that was mentioned about animation, which was singled out. What, what's the what's the thing about you know animation? Why is that being singled out? Well, there's a separate program for digital animation production companies, which has certain requirements for a studio here in the state with at least 200 full-time employees. And I think that was created because uh, these are very lucrative job. They pay well, they're technologically advanced. And, um, you know, people are are working full time in the state when it comes to digital animation, you know, as opposed to just a film production, which may be uh, temporary. And the other thing about the job that that you do, and please correct me if if I'm wrong here, I mean, it's also about it's not just enticing filmmakers in and obviously giving them, you know, that that tax advantage. It's also about getting people in here and staying here and sort of setting up business as well, isn't it? Uh, that's correct. That's where the third incentive that we offer would come in, which is for infrastructure. So uh, it incentivizes companies to build studios here or post-production studios or relocate their headquarters here to the state. And Andrew is also joining us today. Andrew Gernhardt, who is owner of Synthetic Cinema International, which may not be a name that a lot of people would necessarily recognize, but they certainly will recognize the amazing and great content that you make because we saw plenty of it over the Christmas period. Andrew, you're a a Norwich native from Connecticut. And so this might sound a bit of a strange question, but why is Connecticut such a great place to film in? Why do you do so much here? Well, you know, I think number one, you know, the the tax incentives are a big driving force for all production to come here, as as Ed mentioned. But I like Connecticut because I am a New Englander. (laughs) I am from Connecticut. I like the folks here, but I also, I love the locations. Whenever I have conversations with uh, possible productions that want to come here, I always say, you know, you can do everything here except for a tropical island. I mean, we've done, you know, I like Connecticut to play Connecticut, but we've, we've done Philadelphia, we've done Boston, we've done Reno, Nevada, you know, we've done many different locations, you know, mocking in, in Connecticut. But, you know, even, even recently, we had a production that's coming in 2022 that was supposed to take place in uh, Chicago. And we were going to fake it in Hartford, but because uh, the, the studio liked Hartford so much, they're rewriting the script to be Hartford instead of, you know, Chicago. So that, that's kind of a plus too, because I think Hartford gorgeous uh, on film. The other interesting thing about you is, and we were talking about this before we started doing the recording of the interview, is uh, you haven't done it for a while, but you sort of started life doing more horror movies and of course have now moved into the much uh, more interesting, well, not more interesting, let me rephrase <laughs> that, you turn, you've moved into another area, uh, you know, the more romantic sort of movies. It's quite a shift. Yeah, I mean, they're both horror in their own ways. You know, <laughs> we started off making monster movies and, and horror movies because you know, we were in a different time. My business started when there was blockbuster video 
and you know everybody at Blockbuster Video, it was either A list movies or monster movies, and that's how we got into monster movies, which eventually led to uh, TV based monster movies and ghost movies, uh, which led to thrillers which led to Christmas films. And now we're kind of doing everything from uh, comedy to Christmas to thriller. We're doing everything but monster movies, uh, unfortunately, because uh, there, there is a great deal of fun done with uh, monsters. I, I can imagine. And just give us a sense. I mean, because a lot of work goes into movies and unless you're in the business, people, I don't um, think always understand how much work goes into it. I mean, I'm thinking in particular when you're having to do a Christmas movie, you know, you want a Christmas scene and all the fake snow, because of course you don't wait until real snow comes because one that's unpredictable and that doesn't make necessary for good filming situations. Yep. So, you know, how, how much of a challenge is it, you know, when you're trying to do something like a Christmas movie and you're possibly filming it maybe like August, September, October. Yeah, well, we run into that problem a lot. A lot of times we shoot summer movies during April, <laughs> which is very cold in Connecticut. And, and a lot of times, you know, 90% of the time we're shooting these Christmas movies between May and October, which is a comp to get it done. Uh, there's a local company that does uh, snow, like snow blankets and uh, this like flocking, they call it, where they make it look like snow. And we just CG the background to, to make the like the leaves in the house look like it has snow on the, the, the roof and, and all that type of stuff. And we do the opposite for summer. We shot a movie called Sand Dollar Cove where there was no leaves and mystic. It was gorgeous. The light was great, but it was obviously winter. And we actually had to put leaves back on the trees. <laughs> for uh, for the wide shots of that movie, so we're kind of specialized in in switching up the uh, the uh, the season, um, but we are getting a kind of a jump on it this year, and we are going to try and shoot a Christmas movie during the winter in quotations, which you, you never know. Winter in Connecticut, one day it's negative ten, next day it's sixty. So we are going to try and do winter just so there's no leaves. And again, you're right, you can't predict the snow, so I assume there's going to be fake snow no matter how you cut it. Are you able to give us a little bit more, so like insight, maybe a little teaser as to what that uh, what that film's going to be about or not? Well, it will be a Christmas movie, <laughs> um, and it, it's uh, it's kind of it is for Hallmark. It, it'll be a little bit different. I think Hallmark is really doing a great job as at expanding their their stories and um, you know into different genres, uh, whether it's fantasy, science fiction, that type of stuff, along with the romantic comedy stuff. So this one is a little bit different for Hallmark. I can't reveal much about it because it is so different, but uh, you know, we're looking to shoot that during the first quarter of 2022 in the Hartford area, but it's definitely going to be fun. You were also saying again, before we started recording the interview that last year, 2021, your production company did 21 projects, which sounds incredible. How difficult a task was that? And why, why so many projects? It was beyond difficult. <laughs> we usually we usually work on three to five movies a year because we're just a small kind of boutique company. But we worked on 21 different projects, whether it's post-production only, full-on producing, production services. So between those, there's one point during the year where I was going to three different sets within the state of Connecticut. I mean, it was insane. And basically, I was booked on a shoot from around March 1st through early December of actual shooting. It was almost like being part of a, a TV show, one after another, one after another. And we're still working on post stuff, delivering a bunch of uh, international on a bunch of the movies that we, we finished. 
you've obviously got the great support of the Connecticut Office of Film, Television, Digital Media. We'll be talking to those guys again in just a second. But I just wanted to put this question to you. How do the locals take to it when suddenly you all come rocking up in all these cameras, sound gear, big trucks, everything else that's associated with top notch so like filmmaking these days? What's the reaction you get? Well, I, I think, you know, I think filmmaking is still kind of new for Connecticut. You know, people still get excited. It's not like LA or New York where every other street they're shooting, you know, some kind of Marvel movie. So I think movies still bring a lot of excitement as far as my interactions with the locals. I mean, I am a local. So, you know, 99% of my interactions have been great. You know, people are excited, especially for Hallmark stuff, because Hallmark stuff is like G-rated fun stuff. And everybody knows Hallmark, no matter what I've done. Nobody cares. They're just like, oh, you did Hallmark. Like this year is Next Stop Christmas, which we shot at the Essex Steam Train. And everybody knew that movie because like Christopher Lloyd and Leah Thompson and then and, and a great ensemble cast. So, I mean, people are excited to host these movies. In fact, just before this, this call, I got an, an email from a local person volunteering their, their mansion to be on a list for Hallmark. So, you know, I think people are still very excited about movies. You know, our movies are, are pretty big. They're not gigantic like a Steven Spielberg film, but, you know, some get pretty big. The Netflix ones are are pretty gigantic. The Hallmark and Lifetime ones are a little smaller, but, you know, they are, you know, movies nonetheless. And uh, you've helped me segue actually into a a question I wanted to ask Mark uh, Dixon, obviously location services where... Andrew just mentioned, Mark, about the fact that somebody's contacted him. They have a mansion which possibly could become location for a movie. People, of course, and businesses in Connecticut can also do that, can't they? They can contact you over that. That's right. They can go to our our website, which is uh, ctfilm.com. And on our website, on our splash page, we have a section that allows you to, to list your location online. And once it's listed, I approve it. And then you know, producers, location scouts, what have you, they can go and actually see these locations when they're looking to uh, find locations for their films. And George, I want to put this question to you, obviously, as director of the Office of Film, TV and Digital Media. And again, Andrew made this comment that, you know, filming here and sort of like filmmaking is still relatively new and certainly isn't on the level, as he said, of, of Los Angeles and some bigger cities like New York. How much marketing do you have to do as a department to, you know, to tempt filmmakers who are, un, you know, unlike Andrew, who live here and, and know the greatness of Connecticut? How much do you have to do to try and tempt people here? I I would say that we're kind of fortunate that we don't really have to market too much. It would be great to have a marketing budget with which to pursue that. But we're fairly fortunate in that folks in the industry are aware that we are here. They're aware of our program. And and I think that's pretty much due to folks like Andrew, who, who keep the word out there, as well as people that have come here and utilized and shot here and utilized our services and have, you know, said good things about us to their colleagues. So we've benefited from that. I mean, other than the benefit of having, uh, you you know, yourself, Mark and and Ed to assist filmmakers, what else is it that they say that they like about Connecticut that, you know, either brought them here or maybe brings them back? Well, I would I might be, you know, echoing what you've heard Mark and Andrew already say, but Connecticut is a very picturesque state. Uh, We have a wide variety of of locations. We have everything uh, I like to say here from coastline to forest to cityscape, we've got everything here but a desert. So uh, I think that, that that's something that's really good for us. And also 
Connecticut isn't a really large state, so you can find everything in somewhat uh, fairly close proximity, which is important for production companies. In fact, you heard Andrew say that he was going between three different sets at once. So um, that's part of our selling point. And I guess it doesn't hurt that we're in between New York and Boston as well, which obviously are like, you know, two, again, fairly large centers that do a lot of television and film. Very correct. And Andrew, getting back to you, I mean, Christmas movies. I mean, we just have to ask you this hallmark. A lot of them, not all of them, as you pointed out, but a lot of them are Christmas movies. Has Hallmark ever said, you know, why they particularly like Connecticut? Because it does seem that every Hallmark Christmas movie you turn on, it does look as as though it is Connecticut. It has been shot in. Well, I think, you know, when you think of Christmas, you think of that classic New England architecture and the roads and the the woods. And, you know, I can definitely tell ones that are shot in Canada. <laughs> I mean, Canada is beautiful, but I can definitely tell which ones are Canada, which ones are real. I think, you know, what my personal observation with Hallmark movies is I like the ones that are actually shot where they're supposed to be like Connecticut or, or Ohio or, you know, Michigan, the ones that are actually in the places where they, they take place or close by to me, look more realistic. I feel like the ones that are, are, are kind of faked feel a little bit more staged, but that's only, that's only my opinion. And that, that goes not just for Hallmark movies for, for many movies. I just watched some, some movie on Netflix that was a huge budget science fiction movie. And they were taking the train from Greenwich in quotations to, to, uh, to New York. And I wasn't aware that Greenwich had a triple decker train. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you definitely know what's, what's been kind of made a facade. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you occasionally spot those little continuity areas. Like you said, if you definitely come from, from that area, you've mentioned obviously Netflix, you know, streaming services have fairly big budgets and have become very big in the industry. How much has it changed over the years that you've been doing filmmaking from what we would recognize as maybe traditional sort of like filmmaking companies coming to you to these more modern companies saying, hey, this is what we want you to do? Well, I think I think it's all the same process and it's really all the same studios. You know, what I what I think happened is you know, theatrical was the apex of everything. And now it's it's streaming because COVID basically killed theatrical. And so theatrical is kind of on the wayside. And now everything, everybody's vying for these, you know, streaming or downloadable premieres. And I mean, they're huge. I mean, I never, I, you know, when, when I heard years and years and years ago about watching a movie on a smartphone, I was like, no way am I going to sit there and watch a movie or a show on my phone. And I would say 95% of what I watch is on my phone. We have a TV. I don't even turn on. I'm watching all these great shows on my phone. But, you know, production's the same. You know, to me, the the scope of some of these big movies that Disney and and Netflix does, they're the same as a major theatrical release, but it's just for streaming. Are we seeing an increase, though, in production? Because it does seem that, you know, you do turn on, as I say, it doesn't necessarily just have to be the streaming services. But, you know, are we seeing an increase in production generally? I know COVID may well have had a, a bit of an impact. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the reason we were so busy is is the fact that um, everybody was backed up. You know, they're trying to get they're trying to get up to date on their projects they're doing. They're doing their current projects and then they're so afraid of the future as far as like what what's next? What's the next COVID, you know, COVID-42? So they're trying to get as much done as they can in a condensed time. And I know, you know, now's a good time to get into movies 
especially as a crew member, because there's such a demand for it all across America. And then what about the money as well? Because I know you said that, you know, some of the movies that you make are not huge, great, big, you know, um, Hollywood blockbusters with, you know, the multi-millions of dollars. But I mean, these things still aren't cheap to do, are they? No, no. Our budgets, they range. They're from, you know, low budget to higher budget. But, you know, I, I always say, you know, the, the rates that you get on movies are, are better than the average rate of, you know, working a normal job. Plus you get, you know, you get per diem and you get hotel rooms and you get food and you get taken care of. So, I mean, I think, you know, being in movies is if you can keep getting these these jobs, you know, uh, whether it's higher end non-union or it is a union job, they're all high paying jobs. And what I think is great for Connecticut is it's a lot of these companies are just dumping this money in, in, in Connecticut, you know, with hotels and food and never mind what the production is spending on local. It's all the crew members, you know, this Netflix movie in Norwalk had, you know, hundreds of crew members all spending money at local shops and bars and restaurants and, and entertainment. So, I mean, it's just a, just an injection of cash uh, from out of state in state, which is, I, I love it. Whether a movie's 500,000 or 25 million. I mean, to me, it's all money being spent in state. Well, Andrew Gernhardt, owner of uh, Synthetic Cinema International, we are grateful to have you and uh, and obviously being the creative and energetic filmmaker that you and your company are, but also being such a great ambassador for Connecticut and also to uh, George Mark and Ed of the Connecticut Office of Film, TV and Digital Media. We thank you uh, for your time today and the passion that you all bring and making sure that we continue to be part of the filmmaking spotlight here in the United States. Gentlemen, to all of you, have a happy new year. Thanks ever so much for joining us on Connecticut East. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Brian. And if you're a business or property owner in Connecticut and want to register your location for possible use as a future film location, then head over to the Connecticut office of TV, film and digital media website at ctfilm.com, where you can find details of how to register your business or property. The American Red Cross blood supply is at historically low levels this winter, and we're facing a dangerous situation across the country. Without the blood they need, hospitals may be forced to make tough decisions about patient care. Donors are needed now to ensure blood is available for everyone who needs it, when they need it. The good news is, you can help. Make an appointment to give now. Visit redcrossblood.org or call 1-800-RED-CROSS. Patients are counting on you. Winter is coming, so think about preparing your plants and trees for the season. Green Valley Tree LLC can help prepare your trees to withstand heavy snow, ice, and wind with cabling, trimming, and removal. We also do pruning. In fact, we do it all. Call Green Valley Tree LLC today on 860-234-4041 or visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region recently. Disability Rights Connecticut and the Connecticut Legal Rights Project, two leading civil rights organizations, have filed federal complaints against the state over the way COVID-19 test kits and masks are being distributed. Sheldon Taubman is a litigation attorney for Disability Rights CT and explains why they are taking the state to task. But the concern is that it has been done in a way which does not prioritize people who are disabled and who are at high risk. So in the community, 
That means people who, because of their living situation or their disability, they're high risk of transmission. And it also includes people who, should they become infected, they're high risk of severe disease or death. Taubman says although the governor originally stated that towns and cities should prioritise distribution to vulnerable populations, he later undercut that same guidance, saying cities and towns have discretion to develop the distribution model that best fits their community. The city of New London has received over a million dollars from the state to help remediate blighted land for a new community recreation centre. Mike Passero is the mayor of New London and says the financial support from the state will go a long way in helping to make the project happen. I think it's a goal that the city has wanted to achieve for many decades since we lost the YMCA back in the 80s. We haven't had indoor recreation facilities that were adequate to support this community. And it's going to become a reality now within the next two years. New London received just under $1.2 million from the state's Brownfield Remediation Program, which aims to help with the cost of cleaning up around 40 parcels of land in 13 towns and cities across Connecticut. The new Community Recreation Centre will cost the city $30 million and will house an eight-lane indoor pool, therapy pools, a gymnasium and community meeting rooms and will be built on land formerly occupied by the Naval Undersea Warfare Centre. Half of all households in Connecticut are at risk of not being able to pay for everyday expenses in retirement. A new state-run savings program will help private sector employers offer retirement benefits to their workers. Emily Scott from the Connecticut News Service reports. My CT Savings was passed into law in 2016, known then as the Connecticut Retirement Security Program. Through MyCT Savings, employees are enrolled in automatic payroll deductions that go into a Roth Individual Retirement Account, or IRA. John Erlinghauser with AARP Connecticut says the program can be helpful long-term for residents unprepared for retirement and make businesses more competitive in the employment market. I know businesses are eager to be able to provide an opportunity for individuals to save at no cost to them. So this, you know, will level the playing field for those businesses that can't afford to offer an opportunity because the burden on this is taken on by a small fee assessed to the individual accounts. The program, run by the Connecticut Retirement Security Authority, started as a pilot in 2021 and will roll out in phases this year with larger companies first. Other states with similar programs include California, Illinois, and Oregon, which have high satisfaction rates from both employers and workers. I'm Emily Scott. The controversial state pier project in New London suffered a temporary setback recently after a dredging vessel owned by Massachusetts firm Cashman, who were carrying out work at the pier, lost its dredging bucket in the Thames River and discharged around five gallons of hydraulic fuel into the river as a result. The company reported the matter to the Coast Guard and the Connecticut Department of Energy and Environmental Protection and set about cleaning up the site using booms and absorbent pads. In a statement obtained by Connecticut East this week, CT Deep said they did not dispatch an emergency responder to the site given the small volume of hydraulic fuel reported to them, but they are following up the matter. The project's main contractor, Nebraska-based Kiwit Corporation, confirmed the incident and clear-up of the site, but would not provide details as to why the dredging vessel lost its bucket that caused the incident. 
In the Connecticut Examiner this week, crumbling morale within the Connecticut State Police, a spike in fatal accidents and a sharp decline in traffic stops during the pandemic are among the topics lawmakers will be discussing in a meeting with Police Commissioner James Rivella. The meeting, called for by leading members of the Legislature's Public Safety and Security Committee, comes in the wake of statements recently received by Andy Matthews, Executive Director of the 900-member State Police Union, that morale is at an all-time low due to what he describes as anti-police sentiment and legislation from the state capital. In the Middletown Press this week, Governor Lamont is easing into the re-election campaign, investing $210,000 of his own money in the final quarter of 2021, according to his late-night filing recently with Connecticut regulators, the first since announcing his plans to run for a second term. During the 2018 campaign, Lamont, whose family wealth dates back to a great-grandfather who was a top aide at the New York banking legends J.P. Morgan & Son, spent $15.9 million of his personal funds to win the governor's race over Bob Stefanowski, a former business executive. Lamont has not taken a salary while in office. And in the Chronicle this week, Wyndham Region No Freeze Project staff expect an increase in overnight shelter guests as the severe winter weather continues. Project Executive Director Avery Lenhart said recently she was hoping people who have stuck it out in tents thus far this winter will stay at the shelter instead. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East This Week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for listening.